This is exactly right. favorite murder that's georgia hardstark that's karen kilgariff this is your third favorite podcast welcome hey Hey. and your mom's second favorite podcast what the (laughs) your sister's number one that's That's why we like her better yep (laughs) we always have your mom does too your mom (laughs) no your dad's on the fence about both of you Oh shit! I I was talking to my dad on the phone. <laughs> I was talking to my dad on the phone this morning because he was yelling at me for not knowing how important this Dodgers World Series win is. Uh-huh. Uh And again, I just, I tried to explain, Dad, I am not interested. Right, right, right. I I love the athleticism. Sure, I'll watch it if people are hanging out. Great snacks, always. The fun hang, yeah. usually. Not interested in stats or uh, when things have and then haven't happened, whatever. <laughs> so he's yelling at me about about that, and then I real I look at the time and realize I have to get off the phone to go to my therapy, my virtual therapy appointment. Uh-huh. And I go, Dad, sorry, I have to get off the phone because I have to go talk to my therapist. And he goes, What? I thought I was your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you? What would your life be like if fucking Jim Kilgariff was was your fucking designated therapist? Well, he kind of was for the first eighteen, That's and I would true. say it didn't that- work out very good. <laughs> It did, it's not I don't recommend mm, it mm, the mm. suck it up school of therapy uh, yeah. doesn't work for most people I think we're all learning that now that oh our parents were wrong about and our grandparents <laughs> were wrong about bootstraps and whatnot yeah that maybe that approach let the baby cry it out yeah it's not good you'll it's not spoil the baby it. if you touch it too much <laughs> Oh my God! I'm reading. love is very finite, <laughs> right. and you have to meet it out in right. tiny, tiny amounts. Um, I am reading this book on this basically the same thing called Daughter Detox, <laughs> mm. <laughs> about you know mothers and how to get get over them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and can you? They're like your first unrequited love, right, mothers. Exactly. Yep. And it's telling. It's talking about all these like you know psychological um, experiments they used to do before you had to actually treat people like human beings. Like science had to care about humans and ask permission yep. and things like that, and like worry <laughs> about the long lasting effects of these experiments. And yep. it's so depressing and like. Who lets what people let their baby get scientifically fucking tested upon in the 50s and 70s? And well, that's but that's also back when doctors anything they said goes. Yeah. So if a doctor said, oh, your your child is showing signs of this, let's put them in this. It's right. good. It'll be good for them. Here's Don't a worry. new medication that just came out that I'm getting money to give your child. Let's put them on it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's going great. It's. It's a different time. But Much less information. My mom and I are, are going to go to therapy, finally. Are uh, you? A mediator. Really? She used to be a lawyer. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's genius. I know. She's a therapist, a psychologist, you know, and she used to be a, a lawyer. I feel like it's going to be great. You know what you both need? Huh? No judgment. Fucking, what do they call them? The, a mute button. No. <laughs> like when <laughs> yes. you're talking? Yes. It's like... 
the it's the old debates mute button. Oh my god, you're right. Like uh-huh. you're not allowed to talk at the same time. Oh, that's a great if, idea. If only there was a button that could make you hear people. Ooh. Because even when uh, for me personally, when I'm not talking, I'm still sitting there going, <laughs> "Nope." Here's I'm why gonna I'm gonna this, <laughs> and I'm gonna say that. And here you're just doing the same thing again. Well, that's why I, I think couples therapy is so important and good. It's because. Th- Ideally, you have a therapist who you tell the therapist how you feel and the therapist translate it, translate it, translates it to your partner, whoever that might be, and tells it to them in the language they understand. You know what I mean? It's almost like they're an interpreter rather than like anything. Right. Else. And then you get told things. Right. Oh, that's <laughs> that the problem. You need to hear. No, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, shit. No, it's that it goes back the other way. Oh, I was supposed to and listen it's to a that. Fully formed. Inf- I mean, Jesus, Jesus. Yep. It's like here's the thing I've learned lately. Okay. First of all, did I tell you about when I made my therapist cackle so hard she threw her head back? No. Laughing. Did I already tell you the story? She hurt herself. No, we were just talking about. Um, how much I cannot stand vulnerability at all. Cannot mm-hmm. with I can't withstand it. It's the same as as a danger feeling for another person is yeah. a vulner as me coming anywhere close to being vulnerable or honest or direct. Mm-hmm. And it, and to <laughs> so she's talking about um something about it and how it's of course very important and that you have to practice it and that it's a healthy thing and whatever. And she's like, and it's really it's a really good thing to do and I go I know but it's so gross and then she <laughs> she exploded the idea that I was calling vulnerability gross, gross. is like her favorite thing she ever <laughs> you were being vulnerable in that moment though too which is kind of lovely and ironic right <laughs> it was it, but it was also just in these quarantine times when all of our human interactions are so restricted and strange to have like a belly laugh with your therapist. It was so we, it was really enjoyable, but I was going to tell you, so wait, do you want to say the name of that book again? Oh, just the daughter detox. It's called. It's good. Um, It's fine. It's good. I highly, I still highly recommend uh, adult children of emotionally immature parents. It's Mm -hmm. still one of my fucking favorite books I've read in understanding what's going on with me in my life, my childhood. Uh, Yeah. I am going to wait to go to therapy with my mom till after the elections. What if you schedule it for December 1st? That's a great idea. Because 2024? Is that what you're... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to... You talking about that book made me think of a book that my therapist recommended to me that like is one of those ones where and this is my problem with a lot of self-help books it's my problem is when you, when the first three chapters are amazing i walk away i'm like got you it did it thank you so much <laughs> and i walk away but this one is like that but i'm sticking with it oh, cool. it's called burnout the secret to unlocking the stress cycle Ooh. and it's written by emily nagoski and her sister amelia nagoski and it is incredible it like the first three chapters were basically the last 10 years of my life or this thing where when you think you're in danger or you 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 go into the stress response 
you know, our, our old brains that are basically caveman brains Uh need to either when, when the fight flight freeze response comes up, you either need to run, Mm -hmm. you you need to go find people and then have people make the feeling go away. Like there are certain things your body needs to process the chemicals that that response sets into your body. Right. And if you don't do it, it just gets it just stays there. If that's a thing where if you're like me, mm. hey, folks, if you're like me mm. and um, you're good at uh, pushing all those feelings down and mm. pretending you're not having them, it's um, it's just a fascinating education about uh, your body. Like it's that they talk about it. It's like when something when you get into a fight with a person mm-hmm. and then in front of them, you're fine. And then you walk away and cry. Yeah. That's your body needing to get out yeah. all of that energy and those chemicals and stuff, because you get flooded with all these chemicals that are keeping your caveman body alive to get away from the, the danger. Yeah. It's like but when people when start shaking after a car accident or something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or yep. that you have you have to like but you're it's yeah. your system saying we got to get this out yeah because this isn't normal yeah but if you keep just collecting it then it's normalizing in your system and then you kind that that adds to that just opens the door anyway i'm so it's so, called, i'm badly synopsizing no, 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 it's, it's called, called burnout it's, burn out the secret to unlocking the stress cycle so that you can basically work it out and stress out less recognize when it's happening more that's the important thing yeah yeah, you start yeah. to recognize it's really it good. automatically. Um, speaking of fear, for those people who listened to the minisode this week <laughs> and oh, yeah. heard in the background after your terrifying fucking ghost Fuck. story in the middle of it, in the middle of it. <laughs> and then suddenly there was a bell that rang that we all heard in Karen's house. It was clearly in Karen's house. And we all I, panicked. The dogs just like didn't bark. They just stared. I was door. so angry and I was scared, which, of course, my reaction to fear is anger. I was just like, what the fuck this is, is not going on? Fair. <laughs> um, so I walk out into the kitchen after we finish recording. Mm-hmm. So a couple minutes later, whatever, and uh, to go make dinner. And there's just a little Pyrex bowl sitting on the floor in the middle of the kitchen. So in the it middle, had, like I looked at the photo. It's like in the middle, straight up glass bowl. Yes. Yeah, so it, it almost seems like it fell off the because it was on the strainer next to the sink. OK, somehow. And there, this, it was a windy night, but no windows were open. Dude. It fell off that that strainer or is that the drying rack? Yeah, yeah strainer. Yeah. It fell off that. Yeah. Bounced on the floor. Didn't break, even though it's a glass bowl. And then was just sitting there I, that's, waiting for me. I'm still scared. That doesn't explain it away for me at all. My my new house is haunted. Did you, I feel like if we would have known already, because you'd lived there for a little while, that it was haunted, and that's just like such a baby move. Like if if it, that's how long it took to get the ghost to like do something, then I think we're fine. Like in ten years, it'll finally figure out how to close a door or whatever. Thank you. You good. know what I mean? Yes. So, um, yeah, but that was a legit because the the idea of a bell ringing that isn't any connected to any part of uh-uh. your actual house and it's an old-timey it's bell it's not like uncool. a newfangled fucking i don't know are there newfangled bells they're they're making new bells every day georgia <laughs> innovation in the bell in the, in the bell area is unbelievable it's the fastest way that we're learning it, but it really was like you think about it like a pyrex bowl it's like gling yeah it's like how but weird landed, and old-fashioned it sounded it landed face up whatever that means yeah in the middle, mm-hmm. of, I just don't like it. I still don't like it, but I don't like it what at can all. What do we do about it? Yell at the dogs? 
Oh, you heard it when you went back? Well, listening back, it was even scarier because it's like, we all just like freeze. So I feel like (laughs) listening to it, like, because you're listening to a podcast and then all of a sudden, like everyone, like it's unsettling. (laughs) Yeah, I I have to, uh, I'll have to listen back to that because... I could, I was talking, so I only heard the end of it. Yeah. But I saw George's face change. And I was like, are we going to ignore that? (laughs) (laughs) Or no? (laughs) I'm going to do what you need to do (laughs) to make this work. (laughs) Um, Hey, speaking of make it work, making it work, we have a, um, we have merch. guys (laughs) guys <laughs> hey again hey, on the my favorite one of the murder great segues site. thank you it's mm-hmm. kind of my thing we have some new merch in the um store there's the here's the thing fuck everyone mug it's the mug that says here's the thing on it and then when you take a sip on the bottom it says fuck everyone which is really clever in case yep. you didn't know tricky um, for work especially if you work at a church exactly or, a ch- or children's um, uh, play clothing place <laughs> store <laughs> clothing and play place. <laughs> <laughs> if you work inside the McDonald's play place, That's you right. can drink coffee all That's day right. long. Mm-hmm. And then we have a we have a new face mask, like mask, you know, face masks yeah. are face masks now of our actual logo on it. So that's yeah. exciting. Now there's two options. Yeah. And then we also have a stemless wine glass that has our logo on it. That's really cute. So. So if you're trying to be classy, but it <laughs> still need to be tacky. Yeah. We've got the wine glass for you. That's right. Yeah. So check that out. My th- Oh, we also have Exactly Right um, merch on exactlyrightmedia.com in the store. That's like really cute. I have a, the sticker on my laptop now. and My dad has the hoodie and the hat. And it's just it's fun really stuff. good. I put that hoodie on. It is a cozy it sweatshirt. Is. And for the people that are like me that don't want a, a bunch of business on their sweatshirt, it's just the exact. It's a black sweatshirt with a white Exactly Right logo. And that's it. Mm-hmm. No it's drama. A- and the, great. the mug. Yeah. So check that out if you feel like it. If you don't, yeah. that's okay too. And also if there if you're looking for merch for um any of the other podcasts, it's all there on the exactly yeah. right um dot com. Bananas. Website. You know who's got great podcasts uh merch is this podcast will kill you. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. They got great shit. Okay. As does bananas. Bananas right. got into merch before they even started their <laughs> podcast. They were like friends with talented artists yeah. and they just they got it going immediately. They've got great stuff. They do. And uh, we actually expanded it. Do you need a ride? We expanded our merch because we only ever had the shirt. Yeah. Now we have other stuff. That's great. Take a look. It's fun. Merch is the best. Speaking of bananas, yeah. um, this week on bananas, the guest is our friend of the family. One of the funniest people, Fortune Feimster. Uh, She's just a just a dream person. She's the greatest. Yeah. She's truly the most hilarious and the best. Her videos on Instagram that she does dancing, eating ice cream videos. <laughs> oh my God. And her her Brenda videos. Damn. Uh, Brenda. Damn. <laughs> oh Damn. my God. Yeah. If you Fortune Feimster, put this in your um put it in a file for when you are feeling blue. Yes. And you just need to not think about anything. You bring up a, a video of Fortune doing an impression of is it, it's Brenda. Brenda, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's either playing Brenda or dancing and eating ice cream Ugh. or any of the other or just her stand up. She has a yeah. great stand up special totally that came out. Um, just go enjoy Fortune. She's really an amazing performer. Yeah, and she's great on bananas this week. So check that out. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I said no gifts with Bridger Winnegar. 
the great Gabe Liebman, who is a really amazing writer. Um, I'm sure he was a performer originally because who wasn't? And he's been do- he's written on all your favorite shows, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Pen Fifteen, and he's on there talking to Bridger. It's a hilarious. Stephen, who was there to record it, said it was a hilarious episode. Oh yeah, yeah they're they're both the best, and the gift is really funny. You're gonna I don't want to spoil it, but it's, okay, it's really good. Cool. Okay, good. Love it. Yeah, check that out. And that's our that's our network. That's our business. Do you know what made me so happy last week, which was so weird? Is like, so we have this network, right? And it's like actually it's a job it's like a thing that we do and it's it's like an actual network and it's real, which is crazy. It's a a full time job. Yeah. And so we had our Friday morning um staff meeting, as we always do, and everyone catches each other up with what we're doing. And this past week we we have hired lots of people lately and we had so many people that this time we couldn't fit everyone on one screen yeah. on the Zoom meeting. And I was yeah. just like, holy shit, this is our yeah. business. It's cool. And we have the best people yeah. on the team. It's just we like, really do. we can't stop finding the best fucking people. It's great. We're so lucky. Yeah. So thank you all for yeah. making it so that we have a network that people would even want to pay attention totally. to. Totally. It's only because you guys support us so much that we're able to do this awesomeness and bring friends and talented people fucking onto your ear holes. Yeah. And and maybe FedEx some stuff here and there. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Is that a ghost cat? It's a fucking ghost cat. <laughs> Mimi. Mimi. Hi, are you done? Come on. Come on in. All right. Um, now that that's over, <laughs> what if she? What if she jumped on the couch right now and went, "Well, hi." Well, hi. Um, I don't have a lot of tea. I have unsolved mysteries. The new season's oh, okay. good. Okay. How many episodes did you get into unsolved Three mysteries? Three or four only. Did you get into the tsunami? The Japanese. Oh tsunami? my god. Oh Crying. my god. Crying. Every episode, uh, I really am blown away by Unsolved Mysteries. We've talked about it before. Yeah. They're doing incredible work. It's They've upped it. They, this is like the, the it's almost like the HBO version of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. They've, they've done all this. Every time I go, look at this B-roll. They just like, everything is shot beautifully. Um, it's all the families. It's yeah. all the people that, that have been affected. It's these people telling their own story. Ugh. It's just so well done. But this episode about that I believe it was 2012 tsunami in Japan. Yeah. And the after effects uh, and the ghosts. The ghosts of people is, who don't know that they didn't survive. Though it kills me. It was so sad. Yeah. It's so sad. And all the old footage of it was just like, oh my God. It's yeah, it's a really it's rough big. One. I mean, it was it was I remember watching that. Watching it yeah. as it happened. Yeah, Remember when that truck backed up and then drove away totally. and got away from the water? And so but, terrifying. But it's also a fascinating episode because you learn so much about that that northern Japan's culture. Yeah. And I had no idea. I didn't understand any of that. And to have that um the monk that explains right. actually what kind of a lot of this is based in it's it's so fascinating you will it's beautiful it's so sad and touching and beautiful and uh, just heartbreaking and when they open they open the cafe so everyone because they the loss of life was so massive for this area of japan yeah and then they just started trying to bring people together yeah i mean just watch it just watch it just watch um bora that's good that was Good. My sister actually called me and told me I have to watch it and then tell her if she could handle it. 
And then I called her and said, no, you can't. You can't handle it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, my sister doesn't. She's not a fan of true crime or bad things or scary things. Wait, 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 wait. I'm talking about Borat. (laughs) I thought you said Laura. (laughs) Okay. My sister. I moved on and you had it. (laughs) My sister's scared of Borat. Can I please tell my truth or are you just going (laughs) to roll right over it? And I was like, let's confirm. Let's confirm again. Yep. She's scared of big mustaches. She's scared of pranks. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, nothing. It's just like, I liked it. It's subversive and it's kind of like, it's a little anarchist, you know, it's like, yeah, it's cool. Here's my problem. By the time I'm watching TV at night, I need to relax. Yeah. And things like Borat, that's like what you, that's me going, doing it with friends if I have people around, yeah. but by myself, I literally grind my yeah. teeth watching things where people are being pranked or like where someone's I feel like I have to go do it. Totally. It's it's very yeah. I fast forward through a lot of it. It's it's super like gross and silly and like dumb in a lot of ways, of course. But it of also course. is like the most like punk rock thing I've seen in a long fucking time. Awesome. Anything else? Well, oh. There's a show. So there's two versions of the show. There's a British and an American. They're both called oh, The Office. On. What is it called? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Had to. Had to. I really like that character, though, that you just played the character of the girl that understands what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, The Office. Oh, The Office. And always guesses yeah. The Office no matter what you're saying. <laughs> oh, that happened on The Office once. Every time you That's tell the her office, something right? about your life. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Pam did that on The Office once. Sorry. What was the name of the show? They'd be like, I can't talk to you right now. Um, the show's called Getting On. And I'd seen, I'd first seen the American version, which has Nisi Nash, Lori. Oh, I want to say Lori Kilmartin because she's a stand up comic that I love. Um, Lori Metcalf from uh-huh. Roseanne. Oh, it's amazing. The nurse and, one. Yes. Ugh. And Alex Bornstein. Lori Metcalf. It's one of the, we talked about this like years ago, I think. It's just one of the best fucking shows on tv okay it's it's so brilliantly done if you are looking for any it's comedy but then there it's really poignant it's really beautifully played yeah i always knew it was based on a british show well here comes now that everything i'm watching is that i'm starting to get recommended so the original getting on comes up and Uh i start watching it it is unbelievably great oh by the way the, the the english british what the American, the American one is on HBO. I just looked it up. Okay, the, the British one, yeah. <laughs> okay, the British one though is great. I haven't seen it. Yeah, the American one's on HBO. If you want to watch it, it's amazing. But the British one, I was watching it on Prime, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it is just—it's really, really subtle, and it's really fucking realistic. Yeah. It's really realistic, Cringy. and it's so good. There's one part where. <laughs> <laughs> There's one part where an old lady, because it's they're nurses in basically an aftercare. Yeah, like uh, final, final care. Final care um, section of the hospital. Yeah. And there's this one nurse that's just so dry and she's so over it. And she's and this old lady's yelling at her and she's like, you're a terrible nurse. And she goes, I know it's a nightmare. Everybody says so. 
It's the best reaction. Like when someone's shitting on you like, to wholeheartedly agree with them, you're just like, believe me, I was about to say it myself yeah, is my so favorite. Hard being this bad. I fucking know. How do you I know feel? Everybody, everybody says so. It's the best. So yeah, if you're looking for if you're looking for anything, a little laugh. Getting on American, getting on British. Yeah. Okay. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Um, Can't go wrong. Don't go wrong. Never go wrong. Never. Just keep it up. Never. Never. I have to say now I'm going to stop eating sour candy. The okay. Nerds Ropes air days are over. I I went from Nerds Ropes into a um, chewy sweet tarts mm. area that has ruined my teeth and my <laughs> stomach and my way of life. And I, I'm done. Okay. I have to get back to basics because it's silly. I've been trying. Well, Vince has been helping me a lot. Try to find the best cookies and cream ice cream. Oh, like who makes the best? That's uh, a noble, a noble yeah, effort. Yeah. Uh, where where have you landed so far? So far, I mean, Hagen Dazs, of course, they're the best. Or sure. like McConnell's is that the big one? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, you can't. It's never bad. It's never bad. There is a Hagen Dazs limited edition that sometimes comes out and sometimes doesn't. Yeah, called midnight cookies and cream. That's just what? like instead of the cream, it's like dark chocolate ice cream with cookies in it. So it's like cookies and chalk. It's not cream. It's cookies and chocolate cream. Yes, <laughs> so I'm good. getting it. It's so I'm good. hearing it. That sounds. Am- <sighs> See, I don't. I don't love cookies and cream because as a child, I honestly believed if you're going to get ice cream, anything that wasn't chocolate based was a waste of your time. I agree. Except for that. But this right. one is now don't even have to fucking deal with it. They're like, hey, Georgia, we know what you love. Yeah. And we want to give it to you. Uh, and I want to take it. And you no. can just get it, get it in there. The office. But <laughs> but the uh, the ice cream days had to end for me because that it's I'm slowly trying to pare it down where it's like I had to do it. I was just telling my friend this. I had to do an ice cream embargo. I had to do a cereal embargo. Mm. And now it's a candy embargo because it's like you're going to have to leave your house and be seen at some point. <laughs> Stop acting like that's never going to happen. Again. It's happening now when I'm still, um, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just like, come on. Life's still happening. It's so fucking annoying. It really it's kind of a pain in the ass. Um, Who goes first? Oh, what? hold, please hold. And I'm sorry. Okay, that's okay. But I thought I didn't have a lot. But this is one thing I will share with you. And I'm going to send it to both of you right now. Georgia Stephen Ray. On Twitter, I get a a tweet from um, someone named Addison. Hey, Addison at Addison Hare. Mm -hmm. And they say, hey, Karen Kilgariff, Michael Myers has two arms to hold you with. And then they send me pictures. You can buy a 35 foot Michael Myers inflatable Halloween 35 feet 30 okay 35 fucking feet holy shit (laughs) oh my god (laughs) can you see this yes that is in the distance amazing a landscape shot and michael myers is humongous huge foreground he has and he has a fucking knife and he's kind of staring up at your window (gasps) if you were if your window was five stories high, which reminds us to talk about the new MFM animated uh, by Nick oh, but, Terry. Yes. Yes. Just really quick, though. Yeah. The inflatable Michael Myers is three thousand no. dollars. So for rich people only. Oh, this my is, God. But thank you, Addison, because honestly, I looked at that message and I was just like, 
this is simply the best it's thing. It's really beautiful. Seen. This Halloween has really brought it in terms of <laughs> joy, badly needed joy. Wait, I'm I'm going to write Addison back right now. What should I say to them? Hey, Addison. Hey, Addison. Thanks for the... the this is Twitter now, so let's not be too... Okay. Thanks for hey, the Addison. LOL. <laughs> XOXOMFM. The lols. Thanks for the lols. And then put a then put a gif of a kitten d- with a cake. <laughs> Do it. Hey Addison, thanks for the LOLs. <laughs> and then a gif of that. Boom. Cool. We did it. Perfect. That's now that's just like a little Easter egg for people to find on Twitter. <laughs> Okay, sorry. What were you trying That's to say? Okay. I was saying who goes first <laughs> <laughs> You're with the podcast of. Wait, no. I thought you were. Um, I thought you just brought up oh, MFM animated. Yes, MFM animated. The new one about your skeleton, your 10, oh. 12 foot skeleton, and Susie in the fucking buying office at Sue. Home Depot. Sue, what now, a joy! Here's a deep cut that I wonder if anybody noticed but me. What Sue is doing when she's trying to explain to everybody how great it's going to be mm-hmm. is exactly the cocaine bear. Oh, she's pointing got, at the. Yeah, she's got a cigarette in her hand oh and she's got the hairs coming off of her head. Yeah. And it's com- she's just doing a mirror image of cocaine bear with a, wi- a whiteboard pointing yep. out why. But yep. it's just like, oh, it's good. It's just a little bit of a callback. <sighs> There's so many details so many. and people kind of keep talking about the details. It's the cutest the cutest, cutest thing. Anyway, you're first. I'm first. Week. Okay, I'm gonna right pay. because I I went last. Yeah, I was. It was just me by myself last time. Yeah, right? so I'd go first. There's something about the sound of an old timey cash register that really takes me back. I know it sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye georgia have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant like perfectly scrambled eggs oh my god yes karen and then all i want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day well you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient made in cookware made in was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world for years they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware some of tom colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in maiden whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with your meals will benefit from the quality of made in products like their carbon steel cookware it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad so it's 
that's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Now let's get serious. All right. Okay. Here's a toughie, but a necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I got information from the Zinn Education Project website, FBI.gov, history.com, Wikipedia. Um, the, and then I listen to a podcast. It's called The Black Story, um, but black is spelled B-L-V-C-K story, mm-hmm. um, hosted by a guy named Marquise. All right. This is a story that we all know that, you know, know and know how important it is to the civil rights movement, but don't know. I didn't know a ton of details about it. I just knew about this tragic event. So I thought it'd be good to kind of look more into it and and have some background. Absolutely. Okay. So Birmingham, Alabama in the 1960s was nationally known as one of America's most racially discriminatory, violent and segregated cities. Mm. Martin Luther King, of course, um, had been he'd been arrested there in 1963 while leading a nonviolent campaign of demonstrations against segregation. And he described Birmingham as, quote, probably the most thoroughly segregated city in the United States. Um, throughout the civil rights movement, Birmingham was a major site of protests, marches, and sit-ins, and they're met with brutality by police and violence from its white citizens. And white supremacists plant homemade bombs in homes and churches so often that the city gets the nickname Bombingham. Whoa. Yeah. Um, in fact, Birmingham is home to one of the strongest and most violent chapters of the KKK. They openly backed then-Governor Um, George Wallace, who was an outspoken advocate for segregation, total piece of shit, uh, as well as the city's police commissioner, Eugene Bull Connor, who was notorious for using violence against demonstrators. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just this like fucking firecracker of a city, you know? Yep. And it's because of it's because of these reasons that civil rights activists made Birmingham a major focus of their efforts to desegregate the Deep South. It's like going into the eye of the storm, yeah. you know, armed with only nonviolent, you know, options, which is fucking incredible and so brave. I can't even imagine. Yeah. yeah. Local black churches are fundamental in the organization of these protests and members of the KKK routinely call in bomb threats to churches. They want to disrupt the civil rights meetings and church services alike that families go to on Sunday mornings. And the the three-story 16th Street Baptist Church, which has a predominantly black congregation, it's also a rallying point for the city's black population and a routine meeting place for civil rights leaders for organizing and educating the marchers, um, which of course means it's a target for the racists. The morning of Sunday, September 15th, 1963, was a typical Sunday morning at the 16th Street Baptist Church. Um, That day was having its youth day festivities. And uh, around 200 church members were already there, including kids attending the Sunday school classes. 
and everyone's getting ready for the start of the services at 11 a.m. And the sermon that day that was to be given was called A Love That Forgives, which is from Luke 23, 34, in which Jesus is on the cross and asks God to forgive those crucifying him. Mm. In the basement women's lounge, five little girls are excitedly changing into their choir robes because in preparation for Youth Day, they were going to sing in the choir and be ushers for the services. Mm -hmm. At approximately 10.22 a.m., an anonymous man calls the church and when the call is answered, says the words, three minutes, and then hangs up. But not one minute later, a bomb made of 15 sticks of dynamite that had been planted under the steps of the church close to the basement explodes and blows a crater five feet wide and two feet deep in the exact spot where the five little girls were getting ready. Addie Mae Collins, who's 14, Denise McNair, who's 11, Carol Robertson, who's 14, and Cynthia Wesley, also 14, are all killed instantly. The fifth girl, Addie Mae's younger sister, 12-year-old Sarah Collins, survives, but has 21 pieces of glass embedded in her, uh, embedded in her face, and she's blinded in one eye. In um, later recollections of the bombing, she says that in the moments immediately before the explosion, she watched as her sister Addie tied another girl's dress sash right <sighs> before it happened. The explosion had shaken the entire building and blew a hole over seven feet in diameter in the church's real, rear wall, destroying the rear steps to the church. The blast was so strong, it blew passing motorist out of his car and other <sighs> cars. I know it's fucking insane. Um, and other cars parked near the site of the blast were destroyed and windows of properties more than two blocks away from the church were also damaged. That's what an insane explosion it was. And the only stained glass window in the church that doesn't completely shatter is uh, shows Christ leading a group of little children. Um, violence escalates in Birmingham in the hours following the bombing. And, you know, there's just this outpouring of anger about what's happened. You know, suddenly the children are involved and, you know, the, it's, it's, it's just everyone's horrified by it. And then two more black youths, Johnny Robinson, who's 16 and Virgil Ware, who's 13, um, are shot to death within seven hours of the bombing. Robinson is shot in the back by a policeman as he runs away down an alley. He dies at the hospital and Ware is shot in the cheek and chest um, with a revolver. So he's in a residential suburb 15 miles north of the city and a 16 year old white team teen named Larry Sims. He's in a car. He sees Ware on the handlebars of a bike and fires at him reportedly with his eyes closed. Sims is later convicted of second degree manslaughter and a judge suspends his sentence and imposes two years probation instead. Hmm. In all, at least 20 people are injured from the initial bombing and the ensuing riots. The death of the girls draws national attention to Birmingham. Martin Luther King sends a telegram to Governor Wallace after the attack saying, quote, the blood of our little children is on your hands. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, a week before the bombing, Wallace had said in an interview with the New York Times that he believed Alabama needed, quote, a few first class funerals to stop racial integration. Whew. Yeah. On September 18th, over 8000 mourners attend the funerals for the, the three of for three of the little girls at Reverend John Porter's Sixth Avenue Baptist Church. Um, the fourth little girl had a smaller private service. 
Martin Luther King also attends and addresses the mourners with a speech saying this tragic day may cause the white side to come to terms with its, with its conscience. In spite of the darkness of this hour, we must not become bitter. We must not lose faith in our white brothers. Life is hard, at times as hard as crucible steel, but today you do not walk alone. By September 20th, the FBI is able to confirm that the explosion was caused by a device that was purposely planted beneath the steps of the church, close to the girls' bathroom. So it's right there. Um, some wire and pieces of red plastic are discovered, and they think it was part of a timing device. Within days of the bombing, investigators start to focus their attention on the KKK, um, a splinter group known as the Cahaba Boys. So the Cahaba Boys formed earlier in 1963 because they felt that the KKK wasn't doing enough to combat desegregation. <sighs> This group had previously been linked to several bomb attacks at Black-owned businesses and the homes of Black community leaders throughout the spring and summer of 1963, and they're considered one of the most violent groups in the South and are later found to be responsible for the 1961 attacks on the Freedom Riders at the Trailways bus station in Birmingham as well. Mm -hmm. The Cahaba Boys have fewer than 30 active members, and among them are Thomas Blayton Jr., Herman Cash, Robert Chambliss, and Bobby Cherry, who eventually become the main suspects in the bombing on at the 16th Street Church. Investigators gather numerous witness statements, and they say that they saw a group of white men in a turquoise Chevrolet near the church in the early hours of the morning of September 15th, and they indicate that a white man exited the car and walked toward the steps of the church, and then physical descriptions closely match with two of the main suspects. Chambliss is questioned by the FBI on September 26th, and three days later, he's indicted on charges of illegally purchasing and transporting dynamite, um, but no federal charges are filed against him or any of his fellow conspirators in relation to the bombing. On May 13th, 1965, about two years later, local investigators and the FBI formally name Blayton Cash, Chambliss, and Cherry as the four perpetrators of the bombing, with Robert Chambliss the likely ringleader of the four. But the director of the FBI, fucking J. Edgar Hoover, formally blocks any impending federal prosecutions against the subjects. He blocks it. No one's allowed to fucking move forward at all. And he refuses to disclose any evidence his agents had obtained with the state or federal prosecutors. Why? If because he's a fucking racist piece of shit. Yeah, but I mean, did he have to explain why? Or um, what, the, what the legal reason was? I don't think he does. In, in 1968, he clo the FBI closes the case officially. <laughs> uh huh. And any files that are you know pertaining to the case are sealed by his order. The 16th Street Baptist Church bombing remains unsolved for around. Eight fucking years. But when William Baxley is elected attorney general of Alabama in 1971, he works on reopening the case. Within one week of being sworn into office, Baxley researches original police files and determines that they're mostly worthless. So he requests access to the original FBI files on the case, and he's met with resistance from the federal agency. 
Um, and he publicly threatens the Department of Justice for withholding evidence that could result in the prosecution of the bombing suspects. And so finally, the FBI gives him their findings. And um, J. Edgar Hoover had died in 1972. So it seems like maybe someone else was finally able to hand those over. Mm-hmm. He also seeks out the key witnesses and starts like building trust with them. And they uh, eventually identify identify Shambliss as the individual who placed the bomb beneath the church. Um, and they and Vaxley also gathers evidence pr- um, proving Chambliss had purchased dynamite from a store in Jefferson County less than two weeks before the bomb was planted. And he uses the witness testimony and this new evidence to finally formally construct a case against Robert Chambliss. So on November 14th, 1977, almost 15 years after the bombing, mm. that's how freaking yeah. long it took. Robert Chambliss, now 73 years old, stands trial in Birmingham's Jefferson County Courthouse after being indicted by a grand jury the month before on four counts of murder. At a pretrial hearing on October 18th, Judge Wallace Gibson rules that Chambliss will only be tried for the murder of Carol McNair, and he wasn't going to be charged in relation to the other three deaths. That's what's so crazy about it. And I've, I urge everyone to go look at civil rights era photos in color because the black yes. and white makes it seem so long ago and it's fucking not. And in fact, these one of the little girls who was killed, her friend at the time, her childhood friend was Condoleezza Rice. So that are you serious? Yeah. So that tells you that how how recent it was. You yes. know? Yeah. They they would not have been the these old ladies now. They were no it was not that long ago. And, you know, it's just it's horrifying. Yeah. So one of the key witnesses that testifies for the prosecution um, at at Chambliss's trial is Reverend Elizabeth um, Cobbs, who happens to be Chambliss's own niece. And I mean, the the fear that the witnesses must have had testifying against these people who were just clearly terrorists. Yeah. They're terrorists. Exactly. So it takes a lot of chutzpah to to do that. She states that her uncle repeatedly informed her he had been engaged in what he referred to as a one-man battle against black people since the 1940s. She also says that on the day before the bombing, he had told her he had enough dynamite in his possession to, quote, flatten half of Birmingham. In his closing statements before the jury on November 17th, Baxley acknowledges that Chambliss is not the sole perpetrator of the bombing and says that if Denise were alive right now, she'd be turning 26 because it happened to be her birthday that exact same day. The jury deliberates for six hours. And on November 18th, 1977, they found Robert Chambliss guilty of the murder of Carol Denise McNair and sentenced him to life imprisonment. Uh, he tries to appeal by saying that the evidence presented was circumstantial and that the 14 year delay between the crime and his trial violated his constitutional right to a speedy trial. Mm. Bullshit. And, I mean, yeah, um, this appeal is dismissed and he dies in prison on October 29th, 1985 at the age of 81. Uh, in 1995, 10 years after Shambliss dies, the FBI reopens their investigation into the church bombing as part of a coordinated effort between local, state and federal governments to review cold cases um, of the civil rights era. Good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took to 1995 from the 60s to to give any attention to these cases. It's horrific. They unseal 9000 pieces of evidence previously gathered by the FBI in the 1960s. Uh, many of those documents 
relating to the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing had not been made available to Baxley in the 1970s, even though he you know, was threatening them to get them released. Right. Senior agent Bill Fleming is assigned the bombings case, um, and he recruits Birmingham Police Department Sergeant Ben Huron to work uh, to work on it full time. So he's initially reluctant to take the case, um, given that more than 100 potential witnesses had died in the decades since the bombing. But in 1996, Huron remembers thinking that it was the ultimate cold case and said, uh, quote, but if we're going to do it, we need to do it right, because this is the last time it would be feasible to try to reinvestigate. Yeah. You know, for nearly 15 months, um, they scour case files with a singular focus on finding new leads. And they eventually track down Bobby Cherry, one of the original suspects, and they interview him for four hours. Um, and Cherry gets so pissed off about being interrogated like that, that he calls a press conference to proclaim his innocence. And it makes national news. And because of it, the FBI's phones start ringing. And um, Fleming said, quote, this was the best thing to happen to our investigation because we started getting witnesses and people that were able to give us information. Nice. Yeah. These same witness accounts would eventually implicate Cherry. At his trial, Cherry pleads not guilty to the charges. He chooses not to testify on his own behalf. But survivor Sarah Collins Rudolph, she testifies against him. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, <sighs> on May 22nd, 2002, after almost seven hours of deliberation, the jury forewoman announces the verdict, which convicts Bobby Cherry on four counts of first degree murder and sentences him to four life terms. Relatives of the four little girls openly weep in relief. He yeah. dies. Yeah. He dies of cancer on November 18th, 2004, at age 74, while incarcerated, still. So more tips roll in and other witnesses step forward, and Fleming and Heron expand their focus to Tommy Blanton, another original suspect, and discover that um, agents in the 1960s had planted listening devices in his home. Oh. Right? Um, they, they find the old reel to reel tapes and it's this scratchy audio in which Blanton explains to his wife and another man the details of how the bomb plot unfolded. They have fucking Ugh. audio of it. Jesus that Christ. No one ever <laughs> passed on. So they relied on those tapes, uh, at the trial and a jury in 2001 took a couple hours to render a guilty verdict against Blanton on state murder charges. He's sentenced to life imprisonment and he dies um, June 26, 2020. So mm, a couple months ago, a couple months ago. Yeah. The fourth original suspect, Herman Cash, unfortunately had died in 1994 at 75. So he never gets punished. He never gets any fucking punishment for this horrific crime that he committed. Fleming and Heron, um, both have said the investigation was the most rewarding case they ever worked. Heron said, quote, you feel like you have, you feel like you've done the job, even though it looked like a tremendous uphill battle. We finally got justice for the little girls. Outrage over the murder of the four girls became a turning point in civil rights, in the civil rights movement. I think a lot of people um, who had been, you know, who knew what was going on and kind of had been in the periphery you know, suddenly realized how dire and how 
violent and how awful, uh, you know, what was going on. And it it was a turning point for them. And it helped build support for the struggle to end segregation. Two months after the bombing, JFK is assassinated. And he, of course, was an ardent supporter of the civil rights cause. He had proposed the Civil Rights Act of 1963, um, and the movement is galvanized by the outpouring of grief over his death. So on July 2nd, 1964, now President Lyndon Johnson signs into effect the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination based on race, color, religion, gender, or national origin to ensure full equal rights of African Americans before the law. And the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is also passed, aimed to overcome legal barriers at the state and local levels that prevents African Americans from exercising their right to vote. Because you'll get beaten if you go to the fucking polling places. If you try to vote, whether it's legal or not, when it was, you will be attacked. Right. Very relevant today. Sadly. The shit that we're seeing and the shit that we never even understood was happening or wouldn't have it never makes the news yeah the idea that if you if you vote in a certain area of say atlanta mm-hmm. you're going to have to stand in line for eight hours yeah they'll make it that way to make it harder they'll make for it you. that way and you don't get so time th- off work you cannot get paid to leave your fucking job and go right. vote that's not a thing right So following the bombing, the 16th Street Baptist Church remains closed for over eight months as repairs are conducted. And it's declared a National Historic Landmark in 2006. And it's still an active place of worship today. 50 years after the bombing, um, on May 24th, 2013, President Barack Obama awarded a posthumous Congressional Gold Medal to the four girls killed in the 1963 Baptist 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Addie Mae Collins, who was an outgoing artistic girl, she would go door to door in the white neighborhoods to sell aprons and pot holders that her mother had stitched to help make ends meet. Carol Mm. Robertson, who was a good student, she loved reading and dancing. She sang in her elementary school choir and played the clarinet and was a member of the Jack and Jill of America Club. It's a civic-minded youth and family organization. Cynthia Wesley, who was raised by a single mother but stayed with her adoptive parents, she could attend a better school where she excelled at math, reading, and band. Um, And Denise McNair, 11 years old, who performed in plays, dance routines, and poetry readings to raise money for muscular dystrophy research. And that is the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Wow. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. 
I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter her promo code space 80. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, let's take a, a incredibly left turn okay. because mine is one of those stories this week that I have um, read a bunch of times, um, but it, it's just kind of like pure insane chaos. So I've always just gone like, I don't even know how to research that. I'm just going to put it aside. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's just a, it's kind of a, one of the class, a classic true crime. What in the living fuck are you talking about mm. story? This is the story, um, of the California witch killers. Some people call them the San Francisco witch killers. Okay. But they did it all over the stage. Jesus. They, they crossed, they just went up and down California <laughs> just doing whatever the fuck. Oh it, it's God. so crazy and insane. So, okay. I don't know if I know this one. It's, it's funny i've i've like almost picked it so many times yeah um but there's a certain uh, level of just like i don't even know what you like it's basically two mentally ill people then who then mixed in drugs and mixed in it's a folly ado they call Mm. you know when when it's basically they're both they're sharing a delusion yeah Um, like no one thinks to say this is we shouldn't do this. It's crazy. It's just, and also they're just not around other people because yeah. they're just doing drugs and telling each other what the plan is. And it's, you know, it's one of these stories. Okay. So, um, Got information, of course, from Wikipedia, oxygen.com, um, had a whole article on it. Um, there is an ID series called When Couples Kill that has tons of information <sighs> and detail, although they, they were, <laughs> they were wrong about a couple things where I'm, I, uh, some of the map mapping on this might be, um, inaccurate because they, they, the whole thing ends in Santa Rosa, which is the town, one town north of Petaluma. Yeah. But they, they say it all ended in Napa County. And I'm like, is there some weird wine snob that's just trying to talk about Napa in this story? Cause that maybe that's Sonoma County. Um, and then there's a, on medium.com, there's a really awesome comprehensive article called the San Francisco witch killers by Delaney R. Bartlett, um, which is great. Mm. So, so it starts in 1981. Um, a 23-year-old woman named Karen Barnes, she's a, an aspiring actress, um, originally from Georgia, and she's, um, moved to the Haight-Ashbury, um, neighborhood in San Francisco, um, to perf- to pursue an acting career. So she, I think she was like trying to go to the a stopover point before she got to Los Angeles, yeah. maybe. Well, there's like, a lot of playhouses there, right? Like theaters. Yeah. So there's maybe. theater there. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple like, you know, there's a couple theater schools and mm. stuff. But um, so 
it just funny to me of like, yeah. I'm going to pursue an acting career. So I'm going to California, but I'm going to go to Stockton. Right. Six like, hours no, no, no. away from where it all <laughs> yes. goes down. Where it actually yeah. happens. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. I did the exact same route myself. Yeah. Um, and I also lived in the Haight-Ashbury and in the ID when couples killed episode that I watched, I was positive they were showing the front of the first apartment we mm. lived in in San Francisco oh my God. because it was up, upper upper hate yeah and it was one of those victorian Ugh. um split level you yeah. know that we lived on the first floor and but there was also a base there's a basement apartment first floor second floor yeah um and so she lived in a place like that um and she lived in the in the basement apartment um so she's very open-minded she's very interested in the spiritual aspects of the recent 70s counterculture movement she's just kind of like free spirit mm-hmm. open-minded interested in like being around interesting people. Yeah. Um, so one night she goes to a party and she meets this couple who's talking about meditation. They're talking about psychic experiences and psychic behavior. And she's just drawn to their outsider spiritual beliefs. Um, and starts talking to them and they introduce themselves as Michael and Susan Bear. Um, so as they get to, you know, chatting, they let her know that they need a place to stay. So, She's very open minded and generous. And she's like, oh, I have an apartment. You can come and stay in my apartment in the Haight-Ashbury. And they do. They end up moving in with her. So it it goes bad relatively quickly um, because they end up just being kind of like these old hippie drug dealers. And they're both super weird and super they're combative and they're weird. And it's it's kind of strange. So on the morning of March 7th, 1981, police respond to a neighbor's call about a disturbance in Karen's apartment. And when they go inside the basement apartment, they find strange drawings all over the walls, um, unrecognizable strange symbols and the name Susan written all around them. Mm. They they look through the apartment and in the kitchen, they find Karen's body wrapped in a blanket. Her skull's been crushed and she's been stabbed 13 times in the neck and face. Oh, my God. One of Karen's friends um, hears uh, something's going on at Karen's apartment. So she rushes over. And um, when she finds out that Karen's been murdered, she tells the police that Karen's new roommates were these bizarre drug dealing hippies and that that's they should start looking for those people. Mm-hmm. When they speak to Karen's mother, um, she tells the police that although the couple um, went by Michael and Susan Bear, their actual last name was Carson. Which was a key, um, a, a key element to know for them to know. But when the police try to locate the couple for questioning, they're nowhere to be found. So, so Michael Carson, who his first name was actually James, not Michael. Okay. Uh, he's born in 1950, grows up in Oklahoma to a, a regular middle class family. Um, he's interested in history and religion and philosophy. And he, um, goes, ends up going to the University of Iowa to study. And that's where he meets his first wife. Um, so they get married. Um, in the seventies, they have a daughter named Jennifer and they move to Arizona. Now, the wife is the breadwinner of the family, while uh, James, at the time, mm-hmm. stays home. Um, he t- He's basically a house husband. He takes care of Jennifer, and he sells pot for, like, <laughs> extra cash. At first, I was like, um, for him for taking care? <laughs> the gender wait wait a minute. Don't like wait, that. Oh, oh okay. okay. Oh, I get it. Uh yeah. So 
it's alternative for the time. Yeah. Um, but he's a loving husband. And in that uh, cup, when couples kill the daughter, Jennifer actually speaks on camera. And she said he was a loving father. What? She, she loved growing up with him. He was great. Yeah. Wow. So as the years go by, his personality begins to change, which is usually the story, right? Yeah. So he becomes more and more antisocial, starts having irrational, angry outbursts regularly. Um, and that coupled with his refusal to get a job, um, leads to, um, the couple's divorce in 1977. So then, meanwhile, Susan, um, of Michael and Susan couple, uh, she, her name's originally Susan Barnes and she, had spent the 60s as a typical housewife and a mother of two, two boys in Scottsdale, Arizona. But as the counterculture, um, the popularity of it begins to rise mm -hmm. in the late 60s, 70s, she starts experimenting with acid, with mescaline, mm -hmm. with peyote. And also, and this is the part that like makes my skin crawl. She starts hanging out with her son and their friends. Oh no. Who are, who are all in high school. And, uh, she even sleeps with her son's friends, um, also known as statutory rape. Um, and word on the street is that she has slept with 150 like high school boys. What? Now, whether that's gossip because yeah. she's just the weird one. Yeah. Um, I just ache for those boys yeah. who, had a mother that was that invasive of their lives and disrespectful and then also clearly not okay. Yeah. Around the age 35, Susan begins having visions um, while she's on drugs, but also even when she's sober. She had always believed that she had psychic powers, but now she's actually having these, these visions uh, or hallucinations and she's taking them very seriously. Um, but no one else does. In fact, her sure. husband's like, this is it for me. And he divorces her. Um, Susan, though, sees this as an opportunity to reinvent herself. She changes her name from Susan with an S to Susan with a Z. Susan? <laughs> the Z's in the middle. Oh. Susan. <laughs> She keeps Zusa? one ass. She keeps an ass and she gets rid she of She keeps another. an ass and then she kicks one to the curb and gets crazy and puts a Z in wow. her Wow. It's, I'm sorry, and I know we've said this time and again, but if you're micromanaging the spelling of your name as a way to express yourself, take a fucking pottery class. Like, actually get into what self-expression is. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the spelling of your uh, name. There's no, that's there's no I grade. or Y that you, that's going to substitute for your fucking creativity no an e-i-g-h instead of a y means nothing about you as a person actually do something do something real learn tarot reading there's so many there's so ways many to express yourself Who write a little play <laughs> write a play write a play about the alphabet and how much it means to you you fucking lunatic okay now here's the real uh she decides that she is going to become Muslim, but of course, not in in the actual official sense, right. not in a in a real way. She's a, she kind of adopts um, the Muslim religion and then decides to fit it to her mm. lifestyle. Mm -hmm. In 1974, she has a mescaline induced vision instructing her to find a soulmate and a loyal disciple, mm -hmm. which I'm also in the market for <laughs> <laughs> these days. I don't just want someone to yeah. share my life. I want someone to boss around. That's beautiful. 
Um, thank you so much. I'm sure you'll find it, Karen. Thank you. I, I believe. Um, so three years later at a party uh, in 1977, she meets James Carson. They just happen he, to be at the same fucking, like, what are the chances? You know? I mean, they're just like two crazy magnets drawing together. Yeah. So they meet at this party. He introduces himself. He says, hi, my name's James. She immediately says, no, your name's Michael. No. Yes, she does. Okay. <laughs> she says she had a vision about him and that he's he is essentially the angel Michael who fought the devil. Okay. Uh which not sure about that, but um but he immediately is like, You're right, my name is Michael. Great. Immediately goes. So now she's actually like, he- here he is, because he's my uh, he's my follower. Yeah. I'm gonna be able to tell him what to do. He's actually saying, Sure, I'll change my name. I just met this lady. So it's like the, it's love at first sight. Yeah. They hit it off in the worst way. They immediately get together, as we used to say in high school. Um and Soon after, Susan with a Z has another vision instructing them to change that that they need that sh- they need to have the last name Bear. B e a r Bear Bear okay. Bear like the animal. Okay. Uh, so they become Susan and Michael Bear, but not legally. So, um, as Michael falls deeper deeper under Susan's spell, he, Michael's first wife grows increasingly concerned for herself and her daughter's safety. Yeah. Rightfully so. So um, she's afraid Michael might try to kidnap Jen, mm-hmm. take her away um, or do something to the family. So she cuts all ties with him, stops talking to him entirely and anyone else who knows him basically so that he can never find them again wow. and that he can't find his daughter. Um Susan and Michael travel around in search of spiritual enlightenment and while dealing drugs. Um, they claim to be, quote, vegan Muslim warriors of God. But, of course, their belicism is entirely made up and has absolutely nothing to do with. And in fact, is it mostly in direct conflict with the tenets of Islam. Yeah, like it just. Starting with dealing with drugs, dealing drugs. I mean, it's insane. Um, And then in that, their kind of like spiritual quest, Michael learns about an ancient sect called the Hashashim. Um, And they were basically this this sect of assassins. They would smoke hash and then go kill their enemies. And it's where the word assassin comes from, actually. Just a little piece of trivia. Um, so he decides that's what they are and that's what he wants to do. Um, Susan's like, yeah, but we kill witches. And basically they got it into their drug addled brains that there were witches everywhere and the witches were using mental powers to control others and try to control them so that it's their mission in life to kill witches. Man, drugs. Drugs, baby. It's like when you come up with theories about what your life is all about and it has to do with killing other people Mm -hmm. in a righteous way again Mm -mm. check in with an adult Mm -hmm. or a qualified uh psychiatric right check yourself into rehab medical yeah start with rehab then go to a mental hospital oh that's right they don't have those anymore right (laughs) Because we've cut all mental health services. Okay, so so Susan and Michael, um, they start out together in Arizona in 1978. They take a trip to Europe. Um, 
kind of trying to preach this religion that they're making up. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point, they're in England. They stop at Stonehenge. They get married, quote unquote, beneath the moonlight. Not a legal marriage, just a a weird pseudo hippie moonlight ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, but soon they run out of money. In 1980, they they make it to San Francisco to the Haight Ashbury, and at some point there, they go to this party and um, they freak out almost everybody at the party <laughs> except for 23 year old oh. aspiring actress. Karen Barnes, Karen. Um, who is basically there to kind of be like, you know, I'm I want to talk to and meet weird people yeah. and, and ex- ex- explore what life outside of what I already know to be like open hearted and to see what the universe holds for her. Yes. So sad. yes. Yeah. Um, she's a very spiritual person herself. So she's intrigued by when they're when they're speaking about this religion kind mm-hmm. of thing that they're talking about. You know, she wants to hear it. Um and as I said, she lets them come and stay at her apartment. Um, but Michael and Susan actually want more. Um, they want Karen to join in on their relationship and book, and they want to become a throuple with her because she's a gorgeous, you know, mm-hmm. um, a blonde actress. I mean, she looks like an actress. Yeah. So she declines. And that's when Susan tells Michael, Karen is a witch. <gasps> Yeah. So um, when Karen comes home from work on March 6, 1981, Michael follows her into the kitchen, beats her in the head with a with a skillet, mm. then grabs a knife and stabs her a total of 13 times. Um, they rest Karen's head on a pillow, wrap her body in a blanket and then dr- draw these bizarre religious symbols all over the walls and the name Susan with a Z. So um, then they and then, of course, they get out of town. Yeah. And what they do is they hitchhike all the way up to Oregon. Hmm. Um, they get to Grant's Pass. Um, and they fi- there they find, so it's kind of they're out in the wilderness and they walk in the wilderness until they find this abandoned shack. So they hide out there. And um, while the investigation of Karen's murder is taking place in San Francisco, and that runs cold because they can't find yeah. the, the bears. And, um, so basically, Michael and Susan are squatting in his cabin for months. Oh my God. Um, at one point, they run out of supplies. So while Susan stays behind um, in in this shack, Michael hitchhikes to Los Angeles. What? Yeah. Which I don't I'm like, why would how about you just go to the nearest town? Yeah. But he basically I, I, there's they didn't give a reason, but um, he leaves for a while to go, basically go get supplies um, when he gets back. By the time he gets back, Susan's starving and she's delusional in this cabin. And they eventually get discovered by a park ranger who kicks them out. And like, you you can't squat here. So they um, head south and hitchhike back down into California. Um, And they get all the way down near Big Sur. Um, And they get picked up by a really nice local who offers to let them stay in a treehouse he's built on his property Mm. um, near the the Ventana Wilderness, which is that big, beautiful, like, foresty area by Big Sur. Wow. Um, But... And they stay there for a little while, but of course they become combative with the man. They argue, they freak him out with their weird beliefs and eccentricities. Apparently Susan had this weird habit of smiling at really inappropriate times. And I saw a little bit of video of her and it's really scary. It's very odd. Yeah. She smiles and laughs when you're not supposed to. Oh God. 
Uh, yeah. So um, in spring of 1982, the man finally kicks them out of the treehouse. Yeah. He's like, I've been nice enough to you to retaliate. Susan and Michael rob his house um, uh, and set it on fire. Holy shit. Yeah. And then they basically run um, and hitchhike back north. So they're now they're going back up north mm-hmm. to Humboldt. Mm-hmm. And they've stolen a handgun from this man's mm-hmm. house. Uh, so they had that with him. They make it all the way to a town called Alder Point in Humboldt County, um, where they find work and housing working on a weed farm. So it's an early 80s Whoa. weed farm. So it must have been highly secretive and, yeah. you know, kind of scary. Armed. But also in Humboldt, it's like in the early 80s. It's just there's nothing up there. Yeah. Basically, it's real wild and, you know, sparsely populated. Yeah. So... They waste no time in revealing how weird they are to the fellow pot farm workers, um, launching into their belief about anarchy, wit- killing witches, their desire for revolution, their prediction of a nuclear apocalypse in the not too distant future. They're also constantly bickering. They're just all around not Lunatics. the best. Right. And, and basically. Everyone kind of like bum out, tolerates them until the uh, pot farm owner's friend, Clark Stevens, shows up to work on the farm, too. And Clark is is a really outgoing, gregarious guy. He loves to drink. He loves to party. And immediately, Susan and Michael don't like him and butt heads with him. Mm. Uh, they're offended by his behavior, by his partying ways and by his talk you know swearing and you know whatever him him just being himself um susan calls it an affront to allah okay honey which again they're not actually talking about right you are being muslim and a meaning yeah Yeah. exactly you're the definition of an affront to allah so when clark arrives for work one day in may of 1982 susan tries to keep him from coming onto the property He's angry. He cusses Susan out, trying to get her to move. And basically, Susan um, goes back to Michael and says, he swore at me, which is the equivalent of rape. And he is definitely a witch and you have to kill him. So Michael takes the stolen handgun um, and shoots Clark in the face. Um, then he dumps lighter fluid and this is, so it's out on this farm where they basically are, the farm is in the middle of the woods yeah. to keep the pot hidden. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere anyway. Then, um, so he kills Clark by shooting him. Then he, uh, tries to light the body on fire oh. to get rid of the evidence, but it doesn't burn entirely. So, um, he dumps a bunch of fertilizer on it in the woods and then just leaves the body there and they're on the run again. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. So Clark Stevens is report, reported missing to the Humboldt County police. And, um, two weeks after that confrontation, a dog on the farm is found playing with what they think is a ball. Oh, no. And when they get up close, it's a human skull. Oh, geez. So they call the police. It's a pot farm in 1982. Oh, and they call, they have to call the police oh. to be like, we, something terrible has happened. Cause I'm sure deep down they were like, yeah. This is Can worst make- case scenario of our missing friend. Totally. So police find Clark's burnt remains buried in the woods and Michael and Susan are, of course, the prime suspects. Um, so on the run again, 
uh, Michael and Susan make it down to Trinity County, which is kind of right over the um, state line there, mm-hmm. kind of where Eureka is. Um, so they're on the run, right? And they're hitchhiking. And at one point, they're um, they're in the woods somehow, kind of hiking through, and they see all these police with flashlights and police dogs and they think it's the cops have found them mm-hmm. well what was actually happening it was a search and rescue team or looking for a lost hiker so they both and i'm sure they're still on drugs so they dump both their backpacks and run in different directions Jesus. when police um find those abandoned backpacks and search them they find pot they find 38 caliber caliber bullets they find um an ID for a man named Richard Arada, and they also find an anarchist manifesto entitled Cry for War. Why did they leave their um, fucking backpacks? Why didn't they take them? They panicked. They they thought the cops would like because they were heavy. Yeah. Oh, and they, they needed, needed to like, run. Okay. So they just dumped them and ran, I guess. Um, that's my that's my theory. And also that's what the B-roll in the ah. episode of One Couple's Kill made it look like. Got so it, it could have been they'd already taken them off. I don't know. Yeah. Basically, this this manifesto features a hit list of prominent figures. Um, it declares that God wants them to kill Ronald Reagan, who is the current president, mm-hmm. and Johnny Carson. Hmm. And the reason was because their first, middle, and last names, both of those men's mm-hmm. first, middle, and the last names, each had six letters. Oh, 666. Oh, my God. So, they're do so we're talking drugs 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 yeah. that's like the druggiest thinking of all time totally the police lift fingerprints off the manuscript they id michael who's wanted for questioning and the murder of clark stevens um and because it contained death that threats to the president this the secret service is also Ooh, notified got it so um michael's on the run and he makes it all the way down to alhambra huh um Right in Southern California. So one night he's walking down the street in Alhambra and, uh, he is, I, they ID him mistakenly for a rape suspect okay. of a rape that had just happened. Fuck. Um, so the description matched Michael cause he had this big crazy beard and long dark hair. Um, so, so the cop basically, um, gets out. He's and he still has the gun that he used to kill Clark, but he's hiding it in basically in his crotch, like in the front of his pants. Mm-hmm. So the cop makes him get down on the ground and lay on the ground and then he pats him down like that. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't feel the gun because it's in its crotch. Hey. So then the cop puts him in the cop car and takes him into the police station to take his picture <gasps> to be identified. He tells him his name is Richard Arada because that's the name that was oh, on right. the ID that he had. So but he gets his picture taken. They fax it to the hospital. The rape victim sees the picture and says, that's not the guy. <sighs> so um, the officer ends up letting him go. Oh, no. Yeah. And then when the next um, shift officer comes on duty it's i guess part of the job they go through the patrol car and that shift officer (gasps) oh sorry he finds the gun that michael had had in his crotch he had taken it out of his pants and shoved it into the back seat of the cop car so that it wasn't on his person when he went into the station okay so once they found that they knew this guy actually they should have kept him they put out an apb for richard Arada, they run ballistics tests on that gun and find out it's the same gun that killed Clark Stevens. Whoa. Yeah. So now they know the guy that they had was like actually Shit. a murderer. 
Yeah. But it was the early 80s yeah. where they did have a database, um, but they didn't think to check it. Right. And it probably didn't work that fast either. <laughs> It was those really slow computers where you put in your request <laughs> and it comes back four days later. Yeah. Okay. So Suzanne and Mike, Michael had a plan they to meet up in Sonora, California, okay. which is this little mountain town that's like east of Stockton and a little bit north of Yosemite. Okay. So it's out in the middle of nowhere. Basically, they end up meeting back up and finding each other in Sonora. Oh, my God. Um yeah. How and they, they fucking, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, no cell phones, no cell phones, no, nothing modern. And they no. end up meeting each other. Um, they end up eventually getting back up to Portland because they had a friend that lived there. Um, so there was somewhere to crash. Of course, almost immediately the friends like, you guys got to get the fuck out of mm-hmm. here. You're the worst. Um, and they do peacefully, except they steal another 38 pistol that was at the friend's house. Mm-hmm. So they stay on the run till January of 1983 when they are at that point, they're hitchhiking down near Bakersfield and they're picked up by a 30 year old named John Hellier. So John, he's driving a pickup truck. Um, he's going north. That's where they want to go. So he picks them up. Susan's in the middle. Michael's on the other side. Um, and relatively soon after they get picked up, Susan lets Michael know very discreetly that she knows John's a witch. Uh-oh. So they end up taking the, um, the, they base, they end up driving up to Sonoma County from Bakersfield. So I think this guy was probably thinking he had this long trip to go on yeah. and he didn't, it's, it's five hours. So he doesn't want to go by himself. So he picks up this couple like, Oh, at least we can hang. Yeah. But of course, they're how, insane. How subtle do you think she really was letting him know that he, that the driver's a witch? I bet it wasn't yeah, as subtle as they thought it was. You know, when you're probably, on drugs. Drug, yeah, probably drug not. And regular subtle are two very different things. I wonder if it's just like, and if I smile real big, right. you'll know that we're there's a witch in town. Yeah. Um. So and then there's all, you know, immediately there's conflict because he has country music on the radio. She doesn't like it. Mm. You know, there's all these things. And at one point, his leg touches her leg. And that's when she they're they're in Sonoma County at this point. And she basically turns, gives Michael the signal and lets him know that it's time to kill the witch. She leans forward and Michael pulls out the thirty eight. And John's like, holy shit. And he ends up, they're on the freeway. Oh my God. He ends up fighting him off, making sure like the the gun doesn't go off and pulling over to the side of the road. Holy shit. Getting out of the truck that Michael and Susan follow and chase him. There's a fight on the shoulder of the freeway that goes on for so long that people, again, no cell phones. It's 1982. uh, Sorry, it's 1983. Um, there's a fruit stand on the other side of the freeway that can see it happening and they end up calling the police and there's all these witnesses driving by seeing this crazy fight on the side of the road. John is, is trying to wrestle the gun away from Michael, but at some point in the fight, Susan gets her hands on a knife and ends up (gasps) stabbing John, um, which then incapacitates him. He can't fight anymore. And then Michael shoots him. Oh, man, I really wanted him to win. I know, I did too. So now there's witnesses everywhere. The police are on the way. So Michael and Susan steal the truck and they speed off. 
uh, 30-year-old John Hellyer is pronounced dead at the hospital. Um, So the police, meanwhile, have the description. They know all these. There's so many witnesses that they know exactly. So now they actually end up being able to find and begin to chase um, Michael and Susan in John's truck. Holy shit. And a high-speed chase ensues. Susan's the one driving. Oh, my God. So they drive for a little while, but eventually she loses control of the truck. They they go careening into a ditch and and the truck crashes. They survive. The police arrest Michael and Susan in custody. Michael and Susan don't answer any questions uh, that the police ask them about the Clark Stevens murder. They just want to talk about their religion, about Susan's ESP powers and about the threat of witches. Um Susan tells police they are in the midst of a holy war against witches. Mm-hmm. They're held in jail as this investigation continues. And basically, Michael starts complaining that they're not getting enough press. Uh-huh. So he basically says they've killed the biggest witch of the mall in San Francisco and that they should be getting that reporters should know this story and be reporting this story. Well, the police hear him say that. And now basically they're like, that was a confession to right. Karen Barnes's murder. So the so now they know. So they're basically, they're like, okay, what you want to, you want to tell your story. Let's set it up. Cause they're like, now we'll find out yeah. any, what, whatever they've been doing, at least we'll know. They basically set up a press conference for the two of them to talk instead of a normal interrogation that would be recorded and trying to get them to confess. They're like, okay, it's a press conference. So um, on March 10th, 1983, Michael and Susan sit with this big bunch of reporters and launch into a six hour (sighs) rant about all of their beliefs and all of the things that they've been doing. Six hours. Can you watch it? There's there was a clip of it on that TV show. Yeah, I'm sure watching um, it is exhausting mentally. It's uh, I if you were one of those reporters, I'd just be like, this is such bullshit. You would literally yeah. run to the nearest bar when you left oh that because they clearly are not OK. Right. She's standing there smiling. He has dead eyes and he's just looking off the distance, kind of talking about uh, what's happening in the it's and it's really is a very upsetting clear mental illness and clear brain degeneration from drug use i mean that's just what it is yeah they talk about george orwell's 1984 they call ronald reagan the devil which isn't isn't too far off Yeah, 1984 is a great book yeah (laughs) um they say that Witches prevent a universal threat. They all need to be killed. And um, they say that their system is the best for exterminating witches. Susan has her visions about who's a witch. And then Michael kills them. Mm. Um, so during this, they end up confessing to the murders of Karen Barnes, Clark Stevens, and John Hellyer. Um, and so the two both end up being each charged with three counts of first degree murder. And wow. from what I can tell, that uh, press conference does not go wide. So their first trial begins in late May 1984 for the murder of Karen Barnes. Um, just before the trial begins, they withdraw their confessions and they plead not guilty. But it's too late. And on June 12, 1984, after just three days, they're both found guilty of Karen's murder and they're each sentenced to 25 years to life. Then they're tried for Clark Stevens murder and 
again, very quickly, they're found guilty and they each receive a sentence of 50 years to life. Their third trial for John Hellier's murder ends similarly. They they each get 75 years to life for his murder. Neither Michael or Susan ever express any remorse for the killings. In fact, when asked, they just talk more about the hit list that they have. On top of that, the couple... um, is now considered suspects in at least a dozen other murder cases across the country really? and and in Europe that line up with their kind of nomadic travels. Um, unfortunately, there was no not enough evidence was ever found to confirm or deny any of those cases. But there are definitely um, deaths that line up with the way how they moved around oh God. America. I wonder and how Europe. many people they killed. Yeah. So in December of 2015, that's the first time Susan's eligible for parole. She's quickly denied. Mm -hmm. Um, And her next parole hearing will tentatively be in December of 2030. Michael Carson, um, James Carson, but Michael Carson Mm -hmm. is supposed to be considered for parole in June 2005, but he waives his suitability hearing for five years. Um, So he doesn't seek parole for the first time until May 26, 2020. Age 69. Um, and among the people who speak out against his release is his own daughter, Jen Carson. Wow. And she has this to say. Yeah, she's badass. She says, quote, you don't address mass incarceration by releasing the less than 1% of prisoners who are serial killers. Oh. My father... Yeah, right. My father, Michael Bear Carson, hunted humans, young, beautiful, innocent victims. He's a predator who will kill again. I oppose my father's parole. Whoa, dude. Right? She fucking addresses mass incarceration while she fucking. Tef- or she's like, yes, uh, mass incarceration needs to get solved. Right. Yes. There are many people that need to get released from prison. This motherfucker (laughs) isn't one. And he's my father. And I loved him. And keep him in jail. He's a serial killer. Yeah. There's a big difference, which is amazing. So Michael Carson is denied parole via a Skype hearing due to COVID-19 on May 27th, 2020. And after afterward, um, Jen Carson makes another public statement and here's what she has to say quote I spoke out against my father's parole because I believed he would kill again if released we may never know how many people were killed by my father Michael Bear Carson or where they're buried but today there was justice for three known victims Karen Barnes Clark Stevens and John Hillier and future violence was prevented and at the end of that episode of Couples Who Kill she is also um, she is also quoted is saying this people don't think about the relatives of a violent offender but the child of a criminal is a criminal victim too Mm. and that is the awful story of the california witch killers wow that was great good job i mean horrible right good job thank you yeah pure insanity yeah Good job. Um, Thank you. We should. We definitely need some fucking hoorays, don't we? We absolutely need it. Hey, 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 hey. Fucking hooray. Go, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Good one. Thanks. Uh, Thank you. Want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. This is from Instagram. Uh, Ziggy Zamboni says... (laughs) 
<laughs> my hashtag fucking hooray is that I'm finally escaping the clutches of my psychotic manager, but moreover, advancing my career path. Well, this, yes. yeah. Well, this might not seem like much to some. I struggled with taking a stand for myself. I accepted the fact that I was not where I wanted to be and needed to risk the mental and emotional exhaustion of being uncomfortable for a bit if I was going to ultimately get where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So I started making noise to some higher ups and now my exodus is in motion. I feel a huge weight taken off my shoulders and I'm looking forward to advancing my career. Stay sexy and remember, you are your greatest advocate. Only you can make it happen. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you love it. Be uncomfortable a little before you're able but also, to. I would just like to do a very kind, kindly correction to say, um, cause, cause they said something about being like uh, that hardly anybody else is uncomfortable in that specific way, mm -hmm. which is no, everybody everyone is. is. <laughs> everyone is. They're just people are really good at faking totally. it. Totally. At but some any point time, in everyone's life, we've been there. Yeah. Well, it's weird. You were psychically linked Georgia right now because uh, here's the one I picked okay. to go first. This is from Abe Langer. Abe Langer. This is from the fan cult forum. Abe Langer 94 says this is called why you should always go for it. A few months ago, a position at my company opened up and I hadn't really paid any attention to the job posting because it seemed unattainable unattainable and I wasn't really even qualified. On the day of the posting, a woman who I consider a mentor sent me a message who's <laughs> saying, you're a fucking idiot if you don't go for this. <laughs> well put. And then it says she didn't use any exclamation points. Oh, so the person did a, you know, fucking with like uh, yeah. an asterisk and an ampersand and uh. all that. Um, but then she in parentheses wrote she didn't use any exclamation points because she's a badass businesswoman who doesn't need to soften her sentences. Mm. Right on. Uh, and so the day and so the next day I sent in my resume for consideration after what um, feels like an exceptionally long process of interviews, anxiety, doubt, more interviews and some crying. I just recently found out that I got the job. Yeah. It's an incredible opportunity for growth and it came with a nice pay bump too. Yeah. All of this is to say that I shouldn't have doubted myself so much because I'm smart, funny, and I work really hard. And how often do men doubt their abilities when they apply for a job <laughs> or speak up in a meeting? Hardly ever, it seems like. <laughs> so I'm about to pour myself a drink and toast to my awesome accomplishment. Fucking hooray. And here's the thing too. Yes, fucking hooray. And hell yeah. And this is why we need, especially in business. But I mean, in real life, mm -hmm. it's great. But in business, you do need a mentor, Definitely. a person that has a little more experience than you and that sees things big picture. Because of course, it's hard to know your own qualifications and believe that you, you, you're just, of course, it's me. Like, yeah, a lot of people feel that way. So it's so great. To have that leadership and the guidance from somebody that can go, oh, no, 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 I know, I know you can do it. Totally. Because then you can trust that. How would you know it's you and you've never done it before? Yeah. Don't trust your, don't trust your brain that's, that's been telling you you can't your whole freaking life. Like, right. Find someone you respect and believe them. Right. And also, by that lady who said you're a fucking idiot <laughs> if you don't go for this, a big bottle of liquor, because that's the, that's the stuff of life. Amen. That's what we all need. Liquor? Cheerleaders. Oh. <laughs> Cheerleading and, li and liquor. That's awesome. 
Um, this is from Eleni May times three on Instagram. My fucking hooray is that despite 2020 being an overall bullshit year for the world, <laughs> I got married, bought a house and celebrated my third decade of life. Hmm. It hasn't always been roses as I'm a social worker in a pediatric hospital and a black woman in this country whose government seemingly devalues black lives. Many mm -hmm. days were spent in bed pushing aside my own grief in order to support families with theirs. Mm. Thankfully, I had other rad women of color to debrief with and carry on. Regardless of everything, I'm incredibly grateful and so fucking proud for all that me and my sweet husband, who I turned into a murderino, have, uh, yep, have achieved during such crazy times. Beautiful. I know, right? What was the name on that one? Elaney May times three. Mm. This one says fucking hooray for my grandma getting her civic duty shit together. <laughs> This is from Mads Hates, also from the fa fan cult. My seven-year-old grandma, her name's Gloria, Q. Laura Brannigan, mm. Gloria, registered to vote for the first time in 2018. For the first wow. time. After the 2016 election, I was so frustrated with my family members who voted third party, didn't vote for either presidential candidate or, in grandma's case, did not vote at all. Mm. In 2018, I made it my mission to get her registered after realizing her congressional district in our very red state was competitive. Oh, hey, oh, Utahns. Uh, we worked on the registration paperwork together and made sure she received her mail-in ballot. This is something Utah actually gets right. As for alcohol laws, don't get me started. <laughs> she mailed in her ballot and voila, she voted in her first election and that candidate won his race. Yesterday, I texted her to see if, the, if she had sent in her ballot yet. I plan to offer to drop it off for her, but she replied, yep, and I dropped it off in a ballot box. Yay. She she mentioned this was her first time voting in a presidential election, wow. something I hadn't even considered. I'm very proud of her and grateful that mail-in voting is so easy in Utah. So fucking hooray for grandma and fucking hooray for easy voting options. Mm, amazing. Right? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I can't even imagine like being 70 something and never having voted in a presidential election. Just like, yeah. Well, I guess I can being from it, it. It just people have been very lackadaisical about their. I ha, I'll say it this way: I've been very lackadaisical about my civic duties in that way, where there's certain things I say, "Oh yeah, I'll do that." Of course, I have to. Right. I'll do that. But then there's other ways, like you know, I just read this big thing about um, jury duty mm. that like. I've always taken that as a thing to get out of or, ooh, I have work. I have the perfect excuse. Yeah. It, it, jury duty is a very, very important um, thing to participate in. Yeah. And especially if you pay attention to stuff and you care about totally. how things could go. Like, so anyway, all that stuff is like, if you've been bad, you can start being good. Yeah. Like, like don't hold it against yourself. Just get, get, just get in there and totally. get at it. Totally. Oh, God. Oh, ah. Um, cool. Well, this what a time we live in. This weekend is Halloween. So spooky Halloween, right? <gasps> spooky <gasps> Halloween, everyone. Yeah, spooky Halloween. Have, uh, uh, I'm, we're all going to have the spookiest Halloween of all time. So take care of yourself, you know, stay calm. Try to, try to, you know, stay strong. Get yourself a 32 foot Mike Myers if it's, if you need it. <laughs> 
Right? For if you have that extra 3K yeah. laying around. If that's self-care to you, then it's self-care and you can do yeah. it. If you have or that you money. can just you could print up a picture of yeah. Michael Myers and just put it in a little heart shaped locket Aww. and hold it right by your heart. Whatever you need Halloween style. Yeah. To keep yourself strong. That's right. But um we're gonna get through this. Yeah. We will be together and um and stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mimi, you want a cookie? <laughs>